Well, we are in week four of our preaching series, which is called Awake, but it's Awake to, Awake to Jesus at Christmas. And it's Christmas time. It's almost Christmas time, isn't it? It's one week to go. One week to go to Christmas. That's seven more sleeps for those people that count and sleeps at Christmas time. How many people count and sleeps at Christmas time? So there's a couple of people. Yeah, no. I know. I know that within my family that there are a few people who count and sleeps. But Christmas time is one of those things. For many people in Australia, it's more about waking up to wrapping paper, excited children, family overeating, and the stress of trying to meet everybody's expectations. For others, it may be a time of sadness. Sadness at the loss of a loved one. Or the realisation that this will be another year of living without and just making ends meet. So Christmas has so many different faces here in Australia and around the world. But there is one thing that transcends all of these differences and the way we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is when we can wake up to a new life found in Jesus. Where we can let go of our worries, worries about the world, worries about the life that we're living, and have a life that is renewed through the strength of Jesus. See, I, I remember when I was a child, which is actually a number of years ago, and, and, and I, was, I would be getting really excited at the coming of summer, although today it feels more like winter. And I think that, you know, Sydney's trying to give us like a white winter today, but, it, you know, a white Christmas, but, you know. But I would be getting excited as it got warmer as they're counting down the days until Christmas. You know, I'd, I'd mark off the events that would need to happen. You know, school needed to end before Christmas, that you could have Christmas. There were the preparations that needed to be made. There were the games of cricket in our street that we lived in. There were the kids coming together. There was the Christmas tree that had to be put up and the star put on the top. There was sitting at the bench with my mother, helping make all the Christmas food. I don't know how much I helped, but, you know, you'd stir the Christmas pudding or the Christmas cake, and if you were good, you got to lick the wooden spoon. For me, it was an exciting time. But even in all of that excitement in my childhood, as I remember and look back, there was one thing that I was missing as I reflect back on those times. And I think it's the one thing that so many people miss out at Christmas. It was interesting because I was, I was, I have, I'm a, a member of a couple of Facebook groups. And in one of these groups, it was a, a general public group, um, the poster put in there and said, I'm looking for a, a place, not even a church, just a place that has a 
good nativity scene, somewhere where um, my child can you know, come and interact with the story. My child has learned about Santa and has got that, but is missing out on the nativity. And I thought that was interesting because so many people miss out at Christmas. They take on board what the world has tried to feed them about Christmas time, about Santa and all these things, and they haven't woken up to the fact that it is about Jesus. They haven't woken up that the thing that we miss out the most at Christmas time is new life that we have in Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to share with you some passages from the Bible to help you understand what it means that God gives you new life. The first reading I'm going to share with you comes from the second, second Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 13 to 18. And this is one of the letters that the Apostle Paul um, wrote to the church in Corinth. He was writing to encourage them, to help them live a life more like Jesus every day, challenge some issues that are arising, but encourage them to live a life like Jesus. In this section I'm going to share with you, Paul is telling them about the importance of telling others about this new life that they have, new life in Jesus. And, and he's encouraging them to tell other people that they too can have new life. So let's just jump into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start from verse 11 for you. We'll put it up on the screen. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. So this, this is Paul talking about himself, and it's actually talking about what we need to do as well. We have this fearsome responsibility. If we are a follower of Christ, we have this responsibility to tell others about Jesus, about Jesus' birth, about his life, his resurrection, the fact that he is the Messiah, the one that came to save and give us new life. That is what we're meant to be doing. And in verse 12, we go on and say, we are commending ourselves to you again. No, we are giving you a reason to be proud for us so that you can answer those who brag about having special ministry rather than having a sincere heart. So you know, he's kind of combating that thing about this, this idea that people have got special knowledge and a special ministry. It's about telling others about Christ, about showing them Jesus Christ in their life. And we'll go on. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we all die to our old self. So this is key. If we believe that we are a Christian, if we have said yes to Jesus Christ, if we are a follower of Christ, what it means is that we die to our old self. 
and we have a new life in Christ. We die to our old ways. We die to our old habits. We die to the sinful nature that we have and we live as though Christ is living within us. Now, I know that we will not always be perfect. We will not always be able to do this, but we strive to live as Christ lives. We strive for this new life. God gives us a new life through Christ. And we need to embody this ourselves. So we die to our old ways. And it says in verse 15, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So Paul goes on and says exactly that, that that we die to ourselves and we live for Christ. Christ gives us new life. That is, Jesus gives us new life. We participate in Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. That is the new life we've given. We have freedom in that. And we come back and we live as though we are resurrection people. So as we get caught up in Christmas, in singing carols, in in wrapping presents, in eating and celebration and family and friends, we need to remember that it is about having new life in Jesus Christ, being awake to that in our lives. In verse 16, it says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Have you ever noticed how when people come up with reasons why they think that the Christmas story is a myth and Jesus didn't really come, it's from the perspective of a human point of view. They're trying to fit everything into their worldly, their understanding of the world. But God transcends so much more of that. And we need to start thinking beyond that for ourselves. Verse 17. Myth means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So if you have said yes to Christ, if you are wanting to say yes to Christ, you become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. This is an amazing gift for us. This is an amazing thing for us. And this is what we need to realise for ourselves, that anyone who belongs to Jesus, if you have said yes, if you asked for Jesus into your life, You've become a new person in Christ. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. We are here trying to live and imitate Jesus' life. We are trying to be more like Jesus each and every day in our lives. To illustrate this further, I want to share with you a conversation and a challenge that Jesus had with somebody that came late at night, a man called Nicodemus, a religious leader, came to seek Jesus. 
and ask him this question. He was hearing what Jesus was doing. He was seeing what Jesus was doing. He was seeing the teaching that Jesus was doing and he was believing. Yet he wanted to ask some questions. He wanted to find out. But because of his position within the religious authorities of those days, the position of of high leadership that he held within that council, the Jewish high council there, he came at night. And I would say he came at night because he was afraid what other people were thinking. He was, he was hedging his bets as whether Jesus really was the chosen one to come, was the one that had been prophesied about. And so he's coming to Jesus at night. And in John chapter 3, and this is where we have that famous passage, that famous verse that, that everybody quotes, but we're not going to read today, but that's part of this interaction that Jesus has with Nicodemus. But Nicodemus, after this, we see him twice more. And, and interestingly, Nicodemus only appears in John's Gospel. He doesn't appear in, in, in Matthew or Mark or, or Luke's Gospel, in what we call the Synoptic Gospels. He appears in John's Gospel. And he appears three times. This first, ask a question. Second, he appears at the trial of Jesus, where he actually reminds the high council that they cannot pronounce judgment on Jesus without hearing evidence. So he's going, I I I want to temper what they're doing. I want to hold them back and let them hear the evidence before they pronounce. So you can see he's going, I I I I want to find a way to hold all of this together but also help. And then finally, the third time we see Nicodemus in in John's Gospel is when he brings burial spices to embalm Jesus. And we see that Nicodemus is a very wealthy man and he brings a large quantity of spice to bury Jesus. A sign of great respect and love, but also a sign of breaching the cultural heritage of that day. So Nicodemus was this person that wanted to seek and find out about Jesus. And we have this interaction here. And so let's, let's jump into this reading. It's from John chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 8. So we don't get into John 3.16 yet. We're just going to stop at verse 8. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said. So he gives him honour and respect. He says, teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. So he's, he's ascribing greatness to Jesus here already. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So he's, he's going, God's with you. And the things that you're doing, I can see this. So he's he's there in front of Jesus, giving him homage that he's from God. His teaching is from God and his miracles are from God. Jesus replied this, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God. So he, 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 he challenges Nicodemus before he even gets to ask a question. He, he, he's describing Jesus as being from God, but not as God. Notice the difference there. And then Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you need to die to your old self, need to die to your old ways so that you can have new life, to be born again, to be rebirthed. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So Nicodemus was being very black and white, seeing things through the earthly human way of seeing things, not through a godly perspective. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit, without being baptised and the Holy Spirit upon them. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So it's, it's not about the human things. It's not about the physical things. It's about God's presence in your life that will change you and give you new life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can explain, can't, can't explain how people are born in the Spirit. See, all things are possible with God here. All things are possible with God. You've got Jesus explaining to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. And hence the term, a born-again Christian. In other words, we've put aside our old life and we've been born again into a new life, a life that is different. Not the same, but different. See, Christmas calls us to change. Christmas calls us to change and follow Jesus, and Jesus will give us new life. We need to step into that each and every day, not just on Sunday here at church, but each and every day our life needs to be changed and renewed, brought back. We need to let the Holy Spirit work upon us and open us up for God's work in our life. So as we approach Christmas again this year, as we've got seven sleeps to go, and as the excitement level rises within our families and within the world around us, or maybe your excitement level doesn't rise, maybe your stress level rises, I want to encourage you to let go of the worries, of the concerns that we have in the world, and to embrace new life in Jesus Christ. Embrace God's promise of new life for you, to say yes once more. I want to share with you a verse from Isaiah, from Isaiah 40. And let me, let me just come back to here, Isaiah, Isaiah 40. And Isaiah 40 is, do you remember you know, our last series that we had about comforting people, the promise of God's comfort upon people? At the very end of that chapter, there is this verse, which I will share with you in a moment. But it's a verse about how when we have God within our lives, when we have God working within us, 
our life, no matter what the worries are, no matter what the concerns are, no matter what's going on, we can have renewed life, renewed strength within Christ. God gives us this new life. And this new life is amazing and above and beyond what we could imagine with our earthly human minds. As I stand here amongst Christmas trees, decorations, a manger, in the cross, we were reminded that Jesus came for us so that we may have new life, to be awakened to the possibilities. So I want to share with you from Isaiah 40, verse 31, And here is a promise for us about new life, that we too can have this. But those who trust in the Lord will find a new strength. This is what we will have in new life. We'll have a new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This is the promise that we have of new life, it will give us strength, it will give us courage, it will allow us to soar higher than we could possibly imagine, to face hardships when we have to face hardships, to give love when we have to give love, to be more than we currently are. So let us wake up and change the narrative of Christmas from selfishness of what can I get out of this, what gift am I going to give, and tantrums when we don't get it to what can I give from myself? What love can I show? What what new life can I present to the world around us? How can I give? As Paul was saying, showing that God gives new life if we're to say yes to Christ. So let us just pray. Oh Lord God, you are our everlasting God. You are the creator of the heavens and of the earth. Lord, today we help ask that you help us not to grow weary or weak from our life, but to give us strength, to give us encouragement, to give us depth of understanding of your power that works within the world and within our lives. Give us the strength that only you can give us. Give us new life that you give us, that we may face the day full of hope, full of meaning, full of love and joy. May we have new strength. May we have new life. May we soar on wings like eagles. May we run and not grow weary. May we walk and not be faint. God, be with us today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Now, it's, it's really interesting because I think, and I was just reflecting on this and give you a little post-Christmas, uh, post-message little talk. We often want to, within church, make Christmas nice. And it is. It's a lovely time. It's a great celebration and a remembrance. But it's also an affront. We need to remember that 
this story calls us to change, not to stay the same, not to, to come in and go, ah, isn't that lovely, and then nothing changed in our lives. The Christmas story calls us to change. It's radical. God coming into the world and choosing people who nobody else would choose. It's a radical, countercultural story of God working in the lives that the world disregards. So if we're thinking that this is a comfortable, safe place to be because it makes us feel good, I think we're missing part of the story for ourselves. This should challenge us to change and live more in our lives, to become more like Jesus each and every day in our lives. It's just something that was just sitting there and I thought I had to actually say it, that, you know, sometimes we just make it so pretty. And it's not about that. It's about helping and helping ourselves but helping the world around us.